0: Welcome to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm really glad you've decided to join us. Not guilty. More than a year after the killing of two people in Kenosha, Wisconsin, who were protesting racial injustice and police brutality, the gunman, Kyle Rittenhouse, was acquitted of all charges. It's a trial that's been under a microscope for weeks, serving as a manifestation of two Americas, one right, one left, one white, one black, one criminal justice system, and one very different criminal justice system. The jury's verdict has sparked protests of its own, but some activists worry about the chilling effect it might have on people exercising their First Amendment rights. And of course, there are just lots and lots of questions about Kyle Rittenhouse, what he did, and how the criminal justice system has reacted. One of those questions is about race. Kyle Rittenhouse is white, but so were his victims. So is his acquittal? A piece of the narrative in the discussions and debates that we've been having about systemic inequality between white and black Americans, or is that a misplaced piece of the narrative? Also, what does this say about gun violence in America? Kyle Rittenhouse took a very high-powered weapon with him to another state walked around with it, palled around with the police officers, then shot and killed two people. If you're not guilty of a crime for doing that, what does that say about what we think about guns, what we think about public safety? I think all of these questions land in the middle of a really important time in our country when we are really starting to think about all of these issues, what they mean for our lives, and whether we might go in a different direction, whether we might do better. We're going to talk all hour about the Rittenhouse verdict, the trial that produced it, and the future of the nation that produced all of this. A little later, we're going to hear from sociologist Dr. Rashawn Ray with the Brookings Institution. But first, I'd like to welcome back to the show two people who know an awful lot about how the law works. And this ultimately is about law and order in the United States. Barbara McQuaid is a law professor at the University of Michigan and the former U.S. attorney for the Eastern District of Michigan. She's also co-host of the Sisters in Law podcast. Barb, welcome back to Detroit Today.
1: Thanks, Stephen. Glad to be with you.
0: Also with us is Kimberly Atkins-Store, who's a senior opinion writer at the Boston Globe, a former trial and appellate litigation attorney, and another co-host of the Sisters in Law podcast. Kimberly, welcome back to Detroit Today.
2: Hi there. Good to be with you.
0: So I'm going to start here. Kyle Rittenhouse claimed self-defense in Wisconsin, a state that does have pretty robust self-defense laws, but is not a so-called stand-your-ground state. So uh, let's start with both of your general reactions to the jury's verdict of not guilty on all charges. Uh, Barb, I'll start with you.
1: Stephen, I think one of the things that creates this great disconnect is I think most of us look at this scenario and say, how can it be that a jury has said it's okay for someone who is too young to possess any gun at all to come in from out of state with a weapon of war, an assault weapon, to a protest, and not expect that people are going to take him as an active shooter or dangerous gunman and try to disarm him in some way. uh, And that that's gonna lead to deadly gunfire in one way or another. I mean, that was just a predictable recipe for disaster. And how can that be okay? And I think the answer legally is, that the jury is required to look at this in the narrowest of senses in a vacuum. And apart from that big picture, they were asked to look at the precise moment that he fired the gun, as opposed to all of those other outrageously bad decisions that set the table for these moments. And the Wisconsin law also has this um, out that says that although normally one who provokes an attack cannot take advantage of self-defense, You still can, that that defense is restored to you if you believe your life is in danger and that you have no opportunity for escape. It is the last resort um, and you have no choice but to fire. Um, Looking at it in that very narrowest of senses, um, I can see how when they looked frame by frame at these videos, a jury might have found not guilty here. But the bigger picture, of course, I think is the one that the rest of us look at is the societal implications here of the big picture and what this will do to vigilante justice. Hmm. Now, I don't think that means it's over. There are also potential civil remedies, but again, I think Kyle Rittenhouse will become the poster boy for vigilante justice. And this will just encourage more of this kind of conduct, which will make us all less safe.
0: Hmm. Uh, Kim, I would love for, for you to talk um, about the, the, the charges here and the context of self-defense in Wisconsin, but also Talk a little about the way this trial was conducted. Anyone who watched, I think, any part of this noticed some very strange behavior by the judge uh, in this case. And I wonder how much you think that might have had to do with uh, with the outcome, with, with the way that the jury saw all of this.
2: Well, yes, I think the, the conduct of uh, Judge Schroeder in the case was something that I I can understand why people who are watching it, uh, would see it as unusual and and concerning. I did too. Um, I think in the end it had very little to do with the outcome. Although I think the judge revealed a lot about himself, uh, in the comments that he made uh, about everything from the media to the food that the people, um, in the courthouse would be eating. Mm. Um, but, uh in the end i didn 't see anything that would amount to uh even had there been a conviction something that could have been used as grounds to to challenge that conviction, and i didn 't see anything that would have led a jury uh to come to the conclusion of not guilty that they did um, but I do think that it is um an important window uh seeing a trial like this because I think more. Um, We don't always know who sits on benches, who judges are. Mm -hmm. Um, And that sort of transparency, I think, for the American people in itself is important. But I don't think that that affected the trial. But I do want to say there's been a lot of discussion over the weekend and since this verdict came down about justice and who is to blame and is the fact that there was an acquittal. Um, is it the fault of the media for building this up to expect the conviction or in painting what Kyle Rittenhouse did in a way different than what the jury heard? Um, I think it's really important to separate those two things. There's mm. one, we need to separate a prosecutor's burden of proving all the elements of a crime to a jury, um, which in this case didn't happen. And what Barb was talking about, the bigger issue of, as a society, Do we accept or do we have a justice system that accepts someone who is not a police officer, who is not a medic, who is not a security guard, going and taking on those roles himself with an AR-15 in a community that isn't his? And when tragedy ensues very predictably, having no way to hold anyone accountable for it.
0: Hmm. So I want to get going on the phones here and uh, give us a call and let us know what you think about the Kyle Rittenhouse uh, verdicts, uh, the not guilty verdicts that we heard about last Friday. Uh, Do you think that was the right decision or the wrong decision? Do you think that the trial was fair, was conducted fairly? Uh, Do you think that a black person in the same position— would get the same outcome? And what are some of the bigger questions you have about what we're all supposed to take away from what Kyle Rittenhouse did and the consequences that he will not face uh, as a result of, uh, of those actions? Uh, as always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page or to Twitter and put comments there, and we can work you into the conversation uh, that way. Also, as always, we love to get uh, points of view from across the spectrum. Uh, Do you think that Kyle Rittenhouse did nothing wrong? Do you think that the media have perhaps overhyped uh, the issue uh, that was surrounding his behavior during that disturbance in Kenosha, Wisconsin? Uh, do you think, look, this is just uh, self-defense? This is something that every American uh, has a right to. We'd love to hear uh, from you about that and, and, and why you believe that. So, as always, the number here again on the phones is 8, uh, 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to social media and uh, put comments there. Of course, we already have lots of comments on social media and the phones are, are lining up. That's not a surprise. Lots of people, I think, have really uh, passionate uh, ideas and views about what what's happening here. But before we get to listeners, uh, I, I want to give both our guests a chance to talk a little about the racial context and dimension of this. I think that that is the thing that has most people quite exercised. Uh, in the open, I talked a little about this question of how race can even be a question here because Kyle Rittenhouse is white, and the two people he killed uh, are also white um, and yet of course, I know as an American an African American uh, that that race is far more complicated uh, often than than that kind of simple analysis but but I want to give both our guests a chance to talk about what they think that racial element actually is, what the ra- racial context is for what we're seeing here Um, and and Kimberly I'll start with you this time Uh, why is this about race
2: well first of all it begins with the fact that this protest itself was one of many protests that happened uh, over the course of the nation for nearly two years over the over police violence against black people in this case it was Um, It it, it was the shooting of Jacob Blake in Wisconsin uh, that was the source of the protest. It was the through line that was running through not just this case, but America at the time, the Black Lives Matter movement. And many, if not most, of these protests across the country drew counter-protests from those who were... um, Usually not African American, they were usually white. Many of them were self described uh, members of militias and those who sought to tamp down these protests. Um, and calling the Black Lives Movement, remember, was called everything from uh, anti American to terroristic by some. So you had this clash, you had that tension. Uh, To begin with, that was the source of a lot of violence, and this is an example of that. You can't remove that there. Mm -hmm. Why Kyle Rittenhouse decided it was his job to go to this community that was dealing uh, not only with the aftermath of that shooting, but also the influx of people from outside of their community coming in um, is something that is is thoroughly based in race, and you can't remove that from the overall circumstance. Mm
0: -hmm. Uh, Barb McQuaid, uh, there's this comparison that people are making over and over between the consequences that Kyle Rittenhouse won't face and the supposed consequences that I or any other African-American might face if we went to Kenosha and walked around with an AR-15 and told the police we were there to help out and then shot and killed two people. I think most African-Americans believe that none of those things could have happened without severe consequences. And you wouldn't even have gotten as far as Kyle Rittenhouse uh, did. Uh, Talk about how much that should inform the way we're thinking about what happened in this trial and and the verdict.
1: Well, I agree, Stephen, that um, although the victims in this case were white, there is very much a, a racial component to this trial, because as Kim highlighted, the reason the victims were on the street that night were to protest the shooting of Jacob Blake, a black man shot by police. Um, and so there there is that racial component there. And I agree with you that I think that um, if Kyle Rittenhouse had been black, uh, I don't think he would have been um Uh, acquitted or found guilty at trial, I don't think he would have made it that far. I think he would have been killed Mm -hmm. (laughs) on the night of the event. Mm -hmm. Walking around with an automatic weapon, one of the things that was most telling and most chilling, I think, in the case is, remember that video, he tries to surrender after he's shot three people. He's walking down the street and the police just pass him by. You know, like... Mm -hmm they're looking for the suspect and they see the white guy and like, okay, excuse me, white boy with a gun. I'm looking for the shooter. (laughs) Wow. So I do think that um, regardless of the best of intentions that uh, I I hope most police officers have, there still is so much implicit bias in our system. And I also wonder what the outcome would have been like at trial if Kyle Rittenhouse had been black, you know, with uh, sometimes the image that the public has of, Black men as being violent and angry and superpowered and all of those kinds of things uh, versus, uh, you know, Kyle, which his defense attorney uh, strategically called him, mm-hmm. uh, just a kid, you know, just trying to help, just there with his medic bag, even though he has training in first aid and rendered no aid that night. So I do think that race is, um, you know, screaming from behind the muffled pillow in in this case
0: mm-hmm. okay we are going to take a quick break and when we come back we're going to continue this conversation and we are going to get to you the listeners uh, both on the phones Heidi in Ann Arbor, Lawrence in Detroit, Keisha in Ann Arbor, you will be up first. We'll also get to several really intriguing social media comments that we already have about this. If you want to participate, give us a call. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. You can also go to Facebook or Twitter and put comments there, and we'll work you into the conversation. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. listening to Detroit Today on 101.9 WBET. I'm Stephen Henderson. And as always, I'm glad you've joined us. My guests for right now on uh, this hour when we're talking about Kyle Rittenhouse and his not guilty verdicts uh, are Barbara McQuaid, law professor at the University of Michigan and our former U.S. attorney here in the Eastern District of Michigan. She's a co-host of the Sisters in Law podcast. Also with us is Kimberly Atkins-Store, who is a senior reporter senior opinion writer at the Boston Globe, and a former trial and appellate litigation attorney, and she's also a co-host of the Sisters in Law podcast. We're talking about Kyle Rittenhouse, what he did, what the consequences won't be, and the trial that produced these not guilty verdicts. We want to hear from you as well about what you think about what Kyle Rittenhouse did and Uh, the consequences he won't face. Uh, As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Facebook and to Twitter and put comments there, and we'll work you into the conversation that way. I want to read a couple of social media comments before we get to the phones. Ed on Twitter says, As I said to my daughter, apparently if you're white and you can crowdfund half a million dollars for illegal fees, you can kill people. She was worried about riots. I reminded her the left rarely riot. Uh, Tobias on Twitter writes, it's a sad state of affairs when people think it's acceptable that a 17 year old child can and should walk down the street with an AR-15 strapped around his neck. Uh, I want to go to the phones now uh, and get to to, to some of the other comments that we have. Heidi and Ann Arbor, you're up first. What's on your mind? Are you there, Heidi? Okay, Heidi, uh, call us back. There may be something wrong with your phone. I, I can't hear you. Uh, let's go to Keisha in Ann Arbor. Keisha, what's on your mind?
3: Good morning. Hey. Um, I have a, This is, It's all, all concerning how this has all happened um, with him being acquitted. But my question is how in the world does he and the person who drove him, which is from my understanding his mother, how do
2: they uh, get away with crossing state lines with a weapon, him not even being old enough to carry that weapon? How come that person, he ha- uh, Rittenhouse, hasn't been found accountable for those things, um, carrying that around, and,
3: and the person who drove him across state lines, or even bought the gun for him, or whoever, all of that, how is that not uh, being accounted for?
0: Yeah, uh, Great questions, Keisha, and I think that's one of the things that's really confusing people, is that I think in most of our minds, the gun laws in this country and in most states at least uh, would would have some something to say, I guess, about what Kyle Rittenhouse did and the people who helped him. Uh, Barb would help us understand why that's not one of the consequences here.
1: Well, I like the way you think, Keisha, because it could be. I think an enterprising lawyer will get together and consider filing civil lawsuits on behalf of the estates of the deceased here. Um, it, it, I think the facts were that the gun was bought in Wisconsin by a friend and given to um, uh, Kyle Rittenhouse, but he was underage, as you say. Um, the judge ended up dismissing the count for possession of a weapon by someone under 17. I thought his reasoning was actually really quite distorted and convoluted, but I think in that instance, you know, remember this is um, guilt beyond a reasonable doubt. Uh, and really what we saw there, I think, based on my, my perspective as a prosecutor, judges work very hard. To, they kind of fall all over themselves to protect the due process rights of defendants who are on trial. Um, and in some ways, as they well should, when somebody's liberty is at stake, um, you will see that also there is no right to appeal an acquittal. The only way the judge can get second guessed on appeal is if there is a conviction. And so I think there's a self preservation instinct to rule in favor of the defense and those kinds of things as well. But in a civil case, the standard of proof is only by preponderance of the evidence. You could sue his mother. You could sue the friend who provided this gun. Um, And I think, uh, you know, depending on, uh, it it may be that they don't have, uh, you know, huge uh, uh, pots of money that can be given, but I think it could bring some measure of justice to the victims to say that this is not okay, that there needs to be some accountability for this wrongdoing.
0: Uh, Kimberly, I wonder if I've heard a bunch of people actually uh, theorize about federal charges that m- perhaps Kyle Rittenhouse could could face instead of uh, these state charges. That happens in some, in some cases. Uh, talk about how that could or could not be part of this story.
2: Yeah, I mean, there's always, uh, if there is applicable federal law uh, charges that can be brought that prospect, and we do sometimes see that happen, Um, I I don't know if that would happen in this case. There are other things that can happen in this case specifically. Um, The first thing that comes to mind would be civil charges, which I would expect, to be brought I know Barb is a, is a former prosecutor, I'm a former civil litigator. Mm-hmm. And often when we do not, uh, have when we, when we do not have guilty verdicts in cases, but clearly uh, there was wrongdoing involved, uh, those who were injured and the families of those killed can seek civil action uh, against uh, the defendant in that case. It certainly doesn't make the families or the victims whole. Uh, But it is a way to bring accountability. It's also a way to bring awareness to push for changes in laws. And one thing we're talking about, this convoluted Wisconsin law, which, to be clear, it bars anyone under the age of 18 uh, from carrying firearms like rifles. But there's this weird exception that allows 16- and 17-year-olds to essentially... Carry hunting uh, rifles, which this wasn 't this was an AR fifteen mm-hmm. in the streets of Kenosha, Wisconsin. This was not a hunting event, but because of that little loophole, uh, that charge was ultimately thrown out. That is an easy uh, way for people uh, that 's an easy thing for people to push for a change in that law and things like civil litigation can bring additional um, attention to that. I say that knowing that we are currently in a culture that is very um Uh, has a lot of uh, antipathy toward gun reform uh, in this nation, but that doesn't mean that it isn't the right thing to do and the right thing to at least push for. Mm.
0: So uh, Big Neo on Twitter says, Rittenhouse started off wrong by being out after a legal curfew was in place, and because of that, everything after that should be in question, if not outright illegal. He says his case, his scenario, will be used as an example to get away with shooting people At protests. This question of what this acquittal means for vigilante justice and for the safety of people who show up to legally convened and organized protests is another dimension of this. Uh, Kimberly I wonder if you can you can address that for us.
2: Yeah so I mean the issue of the curfew that was initially one of the things that Rittenhouse was charged with. I mean it's a misdemeanor Um, It wouldn't have meant very much of a a, a punishment, but the reason it was thrown out was, yes, Rittenhouse was violating the curfew, so was everyone else involved Mm -hmm. um, in this case, and it was seen as uh, something that wasn't... um, Uh, You can't charge him and not charge everybody else involved in that. But, I mean, it just, I think questions like this, they're really important because they get to what I was getting at earlier. It may very well be true, and I do believe that it is true, that the prosecution did not meet its burden of proving every element of uh, the charges that they brought. And remember that because of Wisconsin law, it wasn't up to Kyle Rittenhouse to prove he acted in self-defense. It was up to the prosecutors to prove that he didn't. Um, So the the deck was was stacked even higher for prosecutors in that case uh, to meet that bar. But at the same time, we can still have a, a criminal system that fails to adequately address exactly this situation that happened, whether it's the curfew law or the gun law. Or the fact that you know he had this—he uh, he crossed state lines. There's no real charge that's on the books, no law on the books that gets directly to every aspect of this thing. Mm. Even though we step back and look at the big picture and say something awful happened here, he did something he shouldn't have done, and now two people are dead and one is severely wounded. When you look up close, the justice system is set up to have so many loopholes. Uh, to allow something like this to happen and the person walk free.
0: Hmm. So, Barb, wh- what are we to make of that? If if indeed this is a case where the law seems that, that, that it could have had a, a different effect and produced a different outcome, but because of these kind of loopholes and exceptions that it doesn't, how are we supposed to think of I guess, solution making here? Is it that laws need to be changed or do we need different enforcement of the laws that are already on the books?
1: Well, I think we see that uh, we have some laws on the books that look like they'll protect us, but in the practical application, it can be very challenging. For example, having a curfew when there is civil unrest. Um, I know sometimes people object to being arrested for curfew violations and they say, you know, you're just trying to silence our speech and the like, but the reason curfews exist during times of, of unrest is for situations like this. It, it, you know, it's usually late and after dark because the police want to make sure they can control the streets from to, to keep them safe. And so you have Rittenhouse violating the curfew. Um, th- that was a, a, a account that the judge ultimately dismissed because the prosecution failed to present any evidence of it. It would have been so easy to present evidence of that offense and yet they, they failed to do so. And I think that allowed Rittenhouse to say, I didn't do anything wrong. I was just out there to protect people. He absolutely did something wrong just by being there in violation of this curfew, as well as possessing this gun, which I think most people until the judge made his, his ruling thought was illegal for a 17 year old to possess. So we have found a, you know, a, a loophole there that I think needs to be closed. But I think the bigger issue is our nation's obsession with guns. And it's become so difficult to get just common sense gun laws on the books. When I first started as a prosecutor, we had a ban on assault weapons and it was allowed to lapse in the decades since we have seen this infatuation with guns just go up and up and up. And I think it's because of a narrative on the right that says you need a gun to protect yourself from others. Hmm. And by others, they mean people not like you, people who are minorities, people, this growing group of minorities that is... uh, uh, becoming a larger and larger part of our population. And so to make sure that you are not replaced, you need a gun to protect yourself. And I think that is part of this narrative that is um, causing politicians to promote gun rights and to refuse just common sense reforms about weapons of war on our streets. Mm
0: -hmm. Okay, Barb McQuaid and Kimberly Atkins-Store, it was great to have both of you here to frame up the legal context of what we're seeing Uh, with this Kyle Rittenhouse not guilty verdict. Uh, Thanks so much for joining us here on Detroit Today.
1: My pleasure.
0: Thank you. Okay, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to continue talking about the Rittenhouse verdicts with uh, Rashawn Ray of the Brookings Institution. He's a sociologist uh, who talks and thinks and writes an awful lot about the systemic inequality we live with in America. I'm going to ask him about how that all applies to the Rittenhouse verdicts. We want to continue to hear from you as well. Give us a call. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Facebook or Twitter, put comments there, and uh, we'll work you into the conversation. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. Bringing you news that matters. Stories that impact your life.
3: Music from the Motor City and around the world. This
0: is
2: 1019
0: WDET.
3: Detroit's NPR station.
0: You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. And as always, thanks for tuning in. We are talking this hour About the verdicts last week in the trial of Kyle Rittenhouse for uh, murdering two people on the streets of Kenosha, Wisconsin, uh, during a Black Lives Matter protest, Uh, the verdicts were not guilty, leaving a lot of people shocked and many more people, I think, even enraged about uh, double standards in our criminal justice system, uh, the systems of inequality that we live with and are finally, I think, talking a little more honestly about in this nation. Uh, I want to welcome a new voice to this conversation. Uh, Dr. Rashawn Ray is a Rubenstein Fellow of Governance Studies at the Brookings Institution. Dr. Ray, welcome to Detroit Today.
3: Thank you for having me, Stephen. I look forward to the conversation.
0: Yes. And as always, again, we really want to hear from you, the listeners, uh, about what you're making of all of this? How are you processing what happened? What do you think it means in the context of these bigger discussions that we're having about inequality? Uh, We've already got a lot of folks queued up on the phone. John on the east side, Lawrence in Detroit, Mark in Redford Township, Anthony in Southfield. We will get to all of you. If you want to join them, of course, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. You can also go to social media, to Facebook or to Twitter and leave comments there that we can work into the conversation as well. Dr. Ray, before we get back to our listeners, though, uh, I want to start here. You tweeted on Friday after the verdict came down that, quote, America being America. I think a lot of us African-Americans felt that way, but uh, expand on that for our listeners.
3: Well, I mean, part of what we know historically is that the criminal justice system, the laws that have been in place, And I think particularly when we look at this case, the interpretation of the law. See, that's what people have to keep in mind. It's not simply what the law states, it's oftentimes the way that people interpret it. And as we saw with the Rittenhouse trial, it's not simply the way that the jury is interpreting it, but the way that the judge actually constructs an interpretation for the jury to react to. We know that when it comes to vigilante justice, that when it comes to citizen's arrest laws, that these are laws in some ways, when it comes to citizen's arrest, at least, I mean, that date back centuries to to Europe and other parts of the world, but in the United States, carried over to the Wild Wild West. If people will watch Wild Wild West movies in the 60s, 70s and 80s, and, and even more currently with some Westerns that have been playing out and showing different types of characters, But overall, it was people trying to police themselves and trying to police other people. So you had these citizens arrest laws. These laws carry over to today, where as a sociologist, when I look at them in the aggregate, meaning collectively, not simply an individual case, which, mind you, is also a trope by which gets people caught up in trying to to take isolated incidents and act like they're not part of a broader system when they are. Mm. And one thing we know is not only does it vary based on who the defendant is, but it oftentimes varies based on who the victim is, or, or in this case, the victims are. And it's not only about the race of the victims or the assailants, but it's also about the cause that they were aiming to highlight. And that's what happened with the Rittenhouse trial. We know that when a defendant is white and is claiming self-defense, claiming stand your ground, claiming a citizen's arrest laws, they are significantly more likely to be found not guilty. And as we see with this trial, it's not simply about the facts of the case. It's also about how different parties, including the judge, is, interpre- is interpreting law for others.
0: Hmm. Hmm. So i I. I'm- want to get back to our listeners again really quickly because we've got so many people who do want to talk about this, um, but I, I want to ask you one more question before we do. Do you view this trial as a good case study in how our criminal justice system operates? In other words, is this exactly what uh, what we have been talking about, I guess, in a little more honest and frank terms over the last year and a half? Uh, because, I think, of the of the Black Lives Matter protest, it, it, is this kind of the focal point of what is gone wrong with criminal justice in America?
3: I think for many people, yes. And I, and I think it's not solely about this case, but part of what people have been able to see over the past year and a half is a collective number of cases. And I think that is the broader point that's important. We had the trial of Derek Chauvin, who murdered George Floyd. If there was any case that should have been a slam dunk, it was that case. That case, I think, actually becomes the benchmark by which we view all other cases. It took overwhelming video evidence, not just of the brave young girl who was sitting there recording, but also video attached to the street that was very clear about how long and deliberate it was. It took bringing in the attorney general to oversee what was happening Mm -hmm. in that particular case to assign specific prosecutors for them to think deliberately about the racial composition of the jury. It took overwhelming evidence from law enforcement saying that he should not have done that. We use that as the litmus test. Everything else falls away from that. So when we look at the Rittenhouse trial, part of what we see is a judge Enter, um, but like putting himself into the trial in a way that I think unnerved a lot of people, regardless of which side they were on. In particular, there were certain words that could not be used, like victim. Like I mean, so so three people who are shot, two people who are killed. You can't use the word victim. Okay. That from the beginning starts to set the tone for what's going on. We know there were repeated opportunities during the trial where people saw that interpretation. Now we can go down to Georgia, obviously, with the case that is uh, up and coming, uh, dealing with the killing of Ahmaud Arbery. And we see another part of the criminal justice system where the jury has literally been constructed in a way that oftentimes leads to not guilty verdicts for white people, and particularly white men. Now, unsure if that's going to happen in this case, I think a lot of people don't necessarily think it should, but what's important for people to note is that in a county that has a very large percentage of black people, depending on where you're at in the county, 30 to 50 percent, only has one black person on on the jury and 11 white people. That is a classic example of how we see these sort of things play out. And collectively, They speak to individuals taking the law into their own hands because they know that the law will not only protect them, but will be interpreted as protecting them. Hmm. And that's what happened with Kyle Rittenhouse. Hmm.
0: Again, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. You can also go to Facebook and Twitter, put comments there, and uh, we'll work you into the conversation that way. Um, I want to read a couple more social media comments and then get back to the phones here. Um, uh, Anthony on Twitter writes, "Why isn't the mom being charged with contributing to the delinqu- delinquency of a minor? Uh, why wouldn't a gun charge uh, convict?" Um, that's a great question ha- as well. Um, let's go to let's go to Lawrence in Detroit. Lawrence, what's on your mind? Good morning. Hey, Lawrence. Are you there? So uh, yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead.
4: Uh, so, I've been listening to a lot of the points being made. I, I wanted to add a couple of my own points, and mm-hmm. if anybody wants to address them. Uh, so far, what I've been hearing on this station is that we're-, we're basically in a scenario where the law system is being blamed for not getting the results that people want. Um, banning weapons, uh, I heard somebody mention, that would lead to tyranny, and that's been exemplified in every European nation since World War II. Um there's no racial aspect to this uh, story. All, everybody that was involved is of the same race. Uh, a black Kyle Ritterhouse would have gotten the same legal verdict as a white one. Um, otherwise, we don't have a justice system. So according to the laws in place, uh, Kyle actually broke no laws. Um, and there, is, uh, there was no Wild Wild West. It was just an American protecting his life. Hmm. Uh, he didn't go on a shooting rampage.
0: So, so Lawrence, I have a question for you before I have our guests talk about uh, what you're saying. And and again, totally respect that you listen to the show and that you're calling in to, to express uh, your your point of view. But, but one thing you said stuck out to me. You said a black Kyle Rittenhouse would have been treated the same way. Um, so... Philando Castile is somebody who in a neighboring state to Wisconsin was shot and killed by a police officer because he had a gun that he was in legal possession of, was not threatening anybody, but because the police officer saw the gun, he reacted in a way that he felt threatened. Do you not think that's an example of the double standard that African-Americans face in this country when it comes to things like gun ownership? Do, Do you not see that Philando Castile, in some ways, is a black Kyle Rittenhouse?
4: Well, to that point, those are, one, those are completely different incidents and different scenarios. And two, I think in any case that involves this type of criminal activity should be brought before a jury in court, as it was in this case where he was found um, innocent. And again, I maintain that if the same uh, if the same case would have been brought before a jury, and Kyle was black in this scenario, um, he would have had the same verdict.
0: Hmm. Well, you know, you're right that they are different cases. Philando Castile was not walking around with a semi-automatic weapon acting as though he was helping out the police. He was sitting in his car, not bothering anybody. The other thing that I would point out is different is the officer who shot Philando Castile was found not guilty. Whereas Kyle Rittenhouse was found not guilty as well of Killing, you know, two people. I mean, it's frustrating sometimes. I think uh, for us as African Americans, to live these realities, these double standards, and then not have other Americans be able to at least acknowledge that there's something off. Uh, Lawrence, again, I really appreciate that you listen and that you called in, but. Uh, but your call reminds me of that frustration. It 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 really it really does. Um, uh, Dr. Ray, I wonder what your reactions are to what Lawrence is saying.
3: Well, you know, I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head. The unfortunate reality is that his statements are just empirically untrue, meaning research does not back it up at all. So let me provide some stats that hopefully can help everyone, because statistics and research – is how we get on the same page in the same book and then talk about what we do about things like this. When a a rant so so his statement was if Kyle Rittenhouse was was black it would have been the same outcome. And he said it, it, we can't say that it's racism because everyone is white. So so just let me deal with both of those statements. When one person kills another person just regardless of race. 2 out of every 100 were found to be justified. 2% 2 out of every 100. When a white person kills a black person and it all and similarly claims self de- self defense, they are found not guilty 8 times as often. 17 out of every 100 were found to be justified. And when a black person kills a white person, it is even less than that 2 out of 100 that I mentioned a second ago. Hmm. Those are the facts. Those are the statistics and that has been the the statistics for over 40 years even before that it would have been even worse so so no it's actually not the same and and we have to stop saying that because it's important for us to realize that if it was the same we wouldn't be having this conversation but it's actually not the same the other thing that's important to note he talked about guns that Kyle Rittenhouse didn't break any gun laws you can't take guns across state lines Hmm. that's illegal and this is where the judge intersected himself. He threw those charges out. Why? Because he knew that those were the charges, at the least, that Kyle would have been convicted of. Like, like, that's actually not true. The third thing he said was about how guns in European countries leads to tyranny. That's completely not true. European countries have a significantly lower gun violence rate than the United States, the United States has a very high gun violence rate, not just by incidents like this, but by suicide, by accident, has the most child deaths due to gun violence of any other country in the world. Like, I mean, these are just statistics that we have to get on the same page about. So, so I mean, the, the statistics speak for themselves. Those statements are just not true. And if we keep going down the pathway of thinking that statistics and, the, and what's actually happening is not true. We will never get past why these sort of incidents are problematic.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Again, 313 1019 is the number here on the phones. Let's go to Anthony in Southfield. Anthony, what's on your mind? Yes.
4: Yes. Hi, uh, Stephen. Uh-huh. Um, my point was strictly a legal one, right? Did the, did the prosecution just get outmatched because uh, – Kyle had uh, two million dollars mm. in, in his pot to defend
0: himself. So, did, was he able to just buy his freedom? Mm. Okay, by having uh, uh, just a better, you know, uh, better legal, better lawyers. To, uh, yeah, defend. right, <laughs> Anthony. It's a great. It's a great question, uh, Doctor Ray. We've talked a little uh, already about that dimension of things, but I, I, I want to put that also in the context of systemic inequality, that, that uh, there is an imbalance in uh, access to capital that that exists between Black and white Americans. Uh, is that one of the things we saw play out here?
3: Yes, I think so. Um, look, we, we know that money matters, race matters, but social class matters as well, just like gender and sexism, sexism matters. And we wish that they wouldn't matter in these ways, but they do. And I, I think one good comparison of this case, you, you mentioned Philando Castile, really good comparison. Obviously, another one in this regard is what happened with Trayvon Martin, in a sense, even though the Ahmad Arbery killing is, is very similar to Trayvon Martin. But the reason why I bring up George Zimmerman and comparing him to Kyle Rittenhouse is because they both of them were able to crowdsource funding. Mm-hmm. And see, that's something else we have to think about. It's not simply that he had the money there were other people who donated to his cause, not just because they felt that he was not guilty, but because they were upholding an America that helped them to have actually a better life than others. So yes, we know money matters because money can hire some of the best lawyers. And when you look at the lawyers in the Kyle Rittenhouse case, similar to the George Zimmerman case, I mean, they were really, really good. And money buys you that. And so we know that social class and race are highly intersected, and so definitely we have to look at the money, but my key point is not just to look at the money, but let's look at where the money comes from. These were people all across the country making donations because not only did they think Kyle Rittenhouse was not guilty, it wasn't even about that for some of them, it was that they felt that he was helping to uphold a democracy Mm -hmm. that helps them to be who they are and keep other people in their place. Even Even other white people who are protesting for racial equality. And that is a point that should not be lost.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, Quickly, I want to go back to the phones here. Bob in the UP. Bob, I've only got about a minute left, but I really want to get your point in.
4: Yeah, I just was wondering, you know, the Constitution guarantees a jury trial of your peers. And couldn't someone argue that a jury that has 11 white people in a county that's majority non-white is not a jury of your peers? Hmm. Isn't there a case to be brought there?
0: Hmm. Uh, great question, Bob. Uh, Dr. Ray, again, we, we've only got about a minute left, um, but talk about the jury here and how it represented uh, not just the city of, West, uh, of Kenosha, but, you know, the county that it's in. Uh, there was an imbalance there.
3: Completely. I mean, Bob hit the nail on the head. Jury composition is a big way in which this happens. And of course, we know that lawyers have peremptory strikes. They will oftentimes strike um, Black people during cases where they think race is going to play a role. They strike women during cases where they think that gender and sexism are going to play a role. And here goes the kicker. There was a large study done on hundreds of felony trials in the state of Florida, done by professors at researchers at Duke University. And what they found that when there was uh, one or fewer Black people in the jury pool we're not even talking about who made it on the jury just in the jury pool that black people were significantly more likely to be convicted and white people were less likely to be convicted in fact Mm -hmm. 73 percent of black people were convicted compared to uh uh, well 71 percent of black people were convicted compared to about 65 percent of white people when you put black people on the jury that difference goes away
0: yeah yeah Dr. Rashawn Ray of the Brookings Institution, always great to talk with you about these issues. Thanks so much for joining us here on Detroit Today.
3: Thank you, Stephen. All
0: right, that's going to do it for us today. I'll be back tomorrow, and I hope you will too. This is 1019 WDETFM, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow.